Chapter Ten, Part Two of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Ten, Before Donelson, Part Two. Dick and Pennington, as staff officers, were mounted although the horses that had been furnished to them were not much more than ponies. Warner rode with Colonel Newcomb and Major Hertford, who led the slender Pennsylvania detachment beside the Kentucky regiment. Thus the army emerged from its camp and began the march toward Cumberland. It was now about 15,000 strong, but it expected reinforcements, and its fleet held the command of the rivers. As they entered the leafless forest, Dick saw ahead of them, perhaps a quarter of a mile away, a numerous band of horsemen wearing faded Confederate gray. They were the cavalry of Forrest, but they were too few to stay the Union advances. There was a scattered firing of rifles, but the heavy brigades of Grant moved steadily on and pushed them out of the way. Forrest could do no more than gallop back to the fort with his men and report that the enemy was coming at last. Those fellows rode well, said Pennington, as the last of Forrest's cavalrymen passed out of sight, and if we were not in such a strong force, I fancy they would sting us pretty hard. We'll see more of them, said Dick. This is the enemy's country, and we needn't think that we're going to march as easy as you please from one victory to another. Maybe not, said Pennington, but I'll be glad when we get Donelson. I've been hearing so much about that place that I'm growing real curious. Their march across the woods suffered no further interruption. Sometimes they saw Confederate cavalrymen at a distance in front, but they did not try to impede Grant's advance. When the sun was well down in the west, the vanguard of the army came within sight of the fortress that stood by the Cumberland. At that very moment, the troops under Floyd, just arrived, were crossing the river to join the garrison in the fortress. Dick looked upon extensive fortifications, a large fort, a redoubt upon slightly higher ground, other batteries at the water's edge, powerful batteries upon a semicircular hill which could command the river for a long distance, and around all of these extensive works, several miles in length, including a deep creek on the north. Inside the works was the little town of Dover, and they were defended by 15,000 men, as many as Grant had without. When Dick beheld this formidable position, bristling with cannon, rifles, and bayonets, his heart sank within him. How could one army defeat another, as numerous as itself, inside powerful entrenchments and in its own country? Nor could they prevent southern reinforcements from reaching the other side of the river and crossing to the fort under the shelter of its numerous great guns. He was yet to learn the truth, or at least the partial truth, of Napoleon's famous saying that in war an army is nothing, a man is everything. The army to which he belonged was led by a man of clear vision and undaunted resolution. The chief commander inside the fort had neither and his men were shaken already by the news of Fort Henry, exaggerated in the telling. But after the first sinking of the heart, Dick felt an extraordinary thrill. 
sensitive and imaginative he was conscious even at that moment that he looked in the face of mighty events the things of the minute did not always appeal to him with the greatest force he had instead the foreseeing mind and the meaning of that vast panorama of fortress hills river and forest did not escape him well dick what do you think of it asked pennington we've got our work cut out for us and if i didn't know general grant i'd say that we're engaged in a mighty rash undertaking just what i'd say also and we need that fleet bad too dick i'd like to see the smoke of its funnels as the boats come steaming up the cumberland dick knew that the fleet was needed not alone for encouragement and fighting help but to supply an even greater want grant's army was short of both food and ammunition the afternoon had turned warm and many of the northwestern lads still clinging to their illusions about the climate of the lower mississippi valley had dropped their blankets now with the setting sun the raw penetrating chill was coming back and they shivered in every bone but the union army in spite of everything gradually spread out and enfolded the whole fortress save on the northern side where hickman creek flowed deep and impassable the general's own headquarters were due west of fort donelson and colonel winchester's kentucky regiment was stationed close by low campfires burned along the long line of the northern army and dick and others who sat beside him saw many lights inside the great enclosure held by the south an occasional report was heard but it was only the pickets exchanging shots at long range and without hurt dick and pennington wrapped their blankets about them and sat with their backs against a log ready for any command from colonel winchester now and then they were sent with orders because there was much moving to and fro the placing of men in position and the bringing up of cannon and thus the night moved slowly on raw cold and dark mists and fog rose from the cumberland as they had risen from the tennessee this too was a great river dick was glad when the last of his errands was done and he could come back to the fire and rest his back once more against the log the fire was only a bed of coals now but they gave out much grateful heat dick could see general grant's tent from where he sat officers of high rank were still entering or leaving it and he was quite sure that they were planning an attack on the morrow but the idea of an assault did not greatly move him now he was too tired and sleepy to have more than a vague impression of anything he saw the coals glowing before him and then he did not see them he had gone sound asleep in an instant the next morning was gray and troubled with heavy clouds rolling across the sky the rising sun was blurred by them and as the men ate their breakfasts some of the great guns from the fort began to fire at the presumptuous besieger the heavy reports rolled sullenly over the desolate forests but the northern cannon did not yet reply the southern fire was doing no damage it was merely a threat a menace to those who should dare the assault colonel winchester signaled to dick and pennington and mounting their horses they rode with him to the crest of the highest adjacent hill presently general grant came and with him were the generals mcclernand and smith colonel newcomb also arrived attended by warner the high officers examined the fort for a long time through their glasses but dick noticed that at times they watched the river 
he knew they were looking there for the black plumes of smoke which should mark the coming of the steamers out of the ohio but nothing showed on the surface of the cumberland the river dark gray under lowering clouds flowed placidly on washing the base of fort donelson at intervals of a minute or two there was a flash of fire from the fort and the menacing boom of the cannon rolled through the desolate forest now and then a gun from one of the northern batteries replied but it was as yet a desultory battle with much noise and little danger merely a threat of what was to come after a while colonel winchester wrote something on a slip of paper take this to our lieutenant colonel he said it is an order for the regiment to hold itself in complete readiness although no action may come for some time then return here at once dick rode back swiftly but on his way he suddenly bent over his saddle bow a shell from the fort screamed over his head in such a menacing fashion that it seemed to be only a few inches from him but it passed on leaving him unharmed and burst three hundred yards away dick instantly straightened up in the saddle looked around breathed a sigh of relief when he saw that no one had noticed his sudden bow and galloped on with the order the lieutenant colonel read it and nodded and then dick rode back up to the hill where the generals were yet watching in vain for those black plumes of smoke on the cumberland they left the hill at last and the generals went to their brigades general grant was smoking a cigar and his face was impassive where to open soon with the artillery said colonel winchester to dick general grant means to push things the desultory firing those warning guns ceased entirely and for a while both armies stood in almost complete silence then a northern battery on the right opened up with a tremendous crash and the battle for donelson had begun a southern battery replied at once and the firing spread along the whole vast curve shells and solid shot whistled through the air but the troops back of the guns crouched in hasty entrenchments and waited the great artillery combat went on for some time to many of the lads on either side it seemed for hours then the guns on the northern side ceased suddenly bugles sounded and the regiments drawn up in line rushed at the outer fortifications colonel winchester and his staff had dismounted but dick and pennington keeping by the colonel's side drew their swords and rushed on shouting the southerners inside the fort fired their cannon as fast as they could now and at closer range opened up with the rifles dick heard once again the terrible shrieking of metal so close to his ears and then he heard too cries of pain many of the young soldiers behind him were falling the fire now grew so hot and deadly that the union regiments were forced to give ground it was evident that they could not carry the formidable earthworks but on the right where dick's regiment charged and just above the little town of dover they pressed in far enough to secure some hills that protected them from the firing of the enemy and from which southern cannon and rifles could not drive them then at the order of grant his troops withdrew elsewhere and the battle of the day ceased but on the low hills above dover which they had taken the union regiments held their ground and from their position the northern cannon could threaten the interior of the southern lines 
Dick's regiment stood here, and beside them were the few companies of Pennsylvanians so far from their native state. Neither Dick nor Pennington was wounded. Warner had a bandaged arm, but the wound was so slight that it would not incapacitate him. The officers were unhurt. They've driven our army back, said Pennington, and it was not so hard for them to do so either. How can we ever defeat an army as large as our own inside powerful works? But Dick was learning fast, and he had a keen eye. We have not failed utterly, he said. Don't you see that we have here a projection into the enemy's lines? And if those reinforcements come, it will be thrust further and further. I tell you that general of ours is a bulldog. He will never let go. Yet there was little but gloom in the Union camp. The short winter day, somber and heavy with clouds, was drawing to a close. The field upon which the assault had taken place was within the sweep of the southern guns. Some of the northern wounded had crawled away or had been carried to their own camp, but others and the numerous dead still lay upon the ground. The cold increased. The southern winter is subject to violent changes. The clouds which had floated up without ceasing were massing heavily. Now the young troops regretted bitterly the blankets that they had dropped on the way or left at Fort Henry. Detachments were sent back to regain as many as possible. But long before they could return, a sharp wind with an edge of ice sprang up. The clouds opened and great flakes poured down, driven into the eyes of the soldiers by the wind. The situation was enough to cause the stoutest hearts to weaken. But the unflinching Grant held on. The Confederate army within the works was sheltered, at least in part, but his own outside, and with a desolate forest rimming it around, lay exposed fully to the storm. Dick, at intervals, saw the short, thick-set figure of the commander passing among the men and giving them orders or encouragement. Once he saw his face clearly. The lips were pressed tightly together, and the whole countenance expressed the grimmest determination. Dick was confirmed anew in his belief that the chief would never turn back. The spectacle, nevertheless, was appalling. The snow drove harder and harder. It was not merely a passing shower of flakes. It was a storm. The snow soon lay upon the ground an inch deep, then three inches, then four inches, and still it gained. Through the darkness and the storm, the southern cannon crashed at intervals, sending shells at random into the Union camp or over it. There was full need then for the indomitable spirit of Grant and those around him to encourage anew the thousands of boys who had so lately left the farms or the lumber yards. Dick and his comrades, careless of the risk, searched over the battlefield for the wounded who were yet there. They carried lanterns, but the darkness was so great and the snow drove so hard and lay so deep that they knew many would never be found. Back beyond the range of the fort's cannon, men were building fires with what wood they could secure from the forest. All the tents they had were set up, and the men tried to cook food and make coffee in order that some degree of warmth and cheer might be provided for the army beset so sorely. The snow, after a while, slackening somewhat, was succeeding by cold much greater than ever. The shivering men bent over the fires and lamented anew the discarded blankets. Dick did not sleep an instant that terrible night. He could not. He, Pennington, and Warner, relieved from staff service, 
worked all through the cold and darkness, helping the wounded and seeking wood for the fires. And with them always was the wise Sergeant Whitley, to whom, although inferior in rank, they turned often and willingly for guidance and advice. It's an awful situation, said Pennington. I knew that war would furnish horrors, but I didn't expect anything like this. But General Grant will never retreat, said Dick. I feel it in every bone of me. I've seen his face tonight. No, he won't, said the experienced sergeant, because he's making every preparation to stay. And remember, Mr. Pennington, that while this is pretty bad, worse can happen. Remember, too, that while we can stand this, we can also stand whatever worse may come. It's going to be a fight to a finish. Far into the night, the occasional guns from the southern fortress ceased. The snow was falling no longer, but it lay very deep on the ground, and the cold was at its height. Along a line of miles, the fires burned, and the men crowded about them. But Dick, who had been working on the snowy plain that was the battlefield, and who had heard many moans there, now heard none. All who lay in that space were sleeping the common sleep of death, their bodies frozen stiff and hard under the snow. Dick, sitting by one of the fires, saw the cold dawn come, and in those chill hours of nervous exhaustion he lost hope for a moment or two. How could anybody, no matter how resolute, maintain a siege without ammunition and without food? But he spoke cheerfully to Pennington and Warner, who had slept a little, and who were just awakening. The pale and wintry sun showed the defiant stars and bars floating over Donelson, and Dick, from his hill, could see men moving inside the earthworks. Certainly the southern flags had a right to wave defiance at the besieging army, which was now slowly and painfully rising from the snow and lighting the fires anew. "'Well, what's the program today, Dick?' asked Pennington. I don't know, but it's quite certain that we won't attempt another assault. It's hopeless. That's true, said Warner, who was standing by. But we... Hark! What was that? The boom of a cannon echoed over the fort and forest. And then another. And another. To the northward they saw thin black spires of smoke under the horizon. It's the fleet! It's the fleet! cried Warner joyously, coming up the Cumberland to our help. Oh, you men of Donaldson! We're around you now, and you'll never shake us off. Again came the crash of great guns from the fleet, and the crash of the southern water batteries replying. End of chapter 10, part 2